We're grinding here on the Y'all Show, grinding through the middle of the work week, and we have three hours of grinding, of talking about what's going on in the southeast here on a Wednesday. Hello, it is a beautiful Wednesday for most of you across the Southland, and we hope maybe you'll have a chance to go out and enjoy this beautiful day, the day the Lord has made, and we are glad that you have taken the time to join us here on this three-hour odyssey we call The Y'all Show. I'm General John Rawl. I am the general of all things Southern, and we're delighted here on today's Y'all Show to show you what we've got. You'll just have to sit back and listen because we have a fantastic Y'all Show We've got Jonathan Lifeite dropping by in just a few minutes. Jonathan is with 247sports.com, and he will be talking about the Virginia Cavaliers and the NC State Wolfpack. Both are Omaha-bound, participating in this weekend's College World Series. That's part of our ACC discussion with Mr. Lifeite, 247sports.com ACC Insider. Also, He's going to tell us a little bit about ACC football. We're just weeks away now from college football programs around the land reporting to campus and getting ready for the 2021 football get-together, also known as a football season. Jonathan, on later this hour. We also have an update this hour on the NBA playoffs as Brooklyn reaches out thanks to Kevin Durant and gets the lead in their series over Milwaukee. We'll share the latest on the association here in this hour. We've got news headlines also to pass along, including a deadly shooting in North Alabama on Tuesday. We'll let you know the latest of that ugly scene and other headlines across the southeast, including a record year for killing black bears legally in North Carolina. We'll have that information in our news headlines today plus kobe bennett he's going to be filing a southern accent on southern culture here in hour number one also today on the y'all show hour two we'll have the continuing a look at the headlines across the south but also business news from the region including something going on with southwest airlines i'll tell you about that as part of our headlines of business And today on the Y'all Show, we're going to put Asian Americans front and center. We've got a sizable population of Americans who are natives or their ancestors are from Asia. And Kenny Zhu is the author of a new book called An Inconvenient Minority. And he is going to be on in hour number two as part of our Southern Business and Southern Book Showcase. And this young man is a recent graduate of Davidson College in Davidson, North Carolina, and he's written this book. Most of the book centers on the current case before the U.S. Supreme Court of Asian students essentially being left out of the admissions at Harvard University, and they were left out specifically because they were Asian or Asian-American. And Kenny is a very much an insider on this case and other discriminatory cases against Asian Americans. He's going to be on again in hour number two to discuss his new book, An Inconvenient Minority, as we salute Asian Americans on this Wednesday y'all show. We also have hour number two, a report on the new books that are big time sellers in the land, 
In fact, we've got four new books atop the New York Times bestsellers fiction category, all new this week on the NYT bestsellers list. I'll share that as part of our book report, hour number two. Hour number three today, we will have, as part of our coverage of Southern sports, we're going to talk about an article that ranks college football's 10 most hostile environments. Is your team on the list? And I know all you Vanderbilt fans out there are sitting there chomping at the bit wondering, is Vanderbilt Stadium the 10th most hostile environment or is it number one in the country? It's it's hostile. It's hostile in a different kind of way. But I'll tell you, if Vanderbilt Stadium's on the list and some of the other great stadiums across the SEC and Big 12 and ACC and perhaps even some of the smaller conferences out there, the OVC, does the OVC have a, a stadium that's the most hostile in the land? Or maybe it's not the OVC. It could be Conference USA. Fear the Rock. If you know what I'm talking about there, M.M. Roberts Stadium, Hattiesburg. All that is part of our Southern sports coverage. Then we also have in our number three, the most searched spelling word for each of our Southern states. So let's say you live in Louisiana. What are, according to Google Trends, what is the word that Louisianans search the most when they're on Google? Oftentimes, it it is usually how do you spell blank for the Google Trends of the most searched spelling word. And I'll share who or what the word for your state is when we get to our number three. All that right here on a show that accentuates the South. We are y'all. And if you want to be part of the fun, it's so dang easy. All you got to do is pick up that phone. I'm holding a look there. I'm holding up an old school headset right there. And all you got to do is pick that thing up and call 803-816-1170. That's that's the the way you can call. That is the way you can text us here at Talk with a Southern Accent 8038161170. You also can email us if you want to reach out to us that way. That's kind of an old-fashioned way now. Email us at mail m a i l mail at y'all.com. We are powered by the South's homepage y'all.com. Go there now. And you can see on y'all.com a big red and white box that says Y'all Show. And there is where you can look up and see and, and hear or watch, depending if we have a video interview available. You can see this show and hear this show at y'all.com at the Y'all Show tab at y'all.com. And, of course, we are available in podcast form on some of the more popular podcast options if you want to hear this show while you're cruising down the highway or perhaps you're getting a good workout in, you can listen to the show in its entirety. All you have to do is go into Apple Podcasts, search for Y'all Show. You can go to Stitcher, search for Y'all Show. You can go to the TuneIn Radio app, search for Y'all Show. Hey, you could even go to iHeartRadio's app, search for Y'all Show. And we're right there, absolutely free and absolutely delighted that you would take the time to tune us in no matter what way you get us. Thank you very, very much. In to the news headlines for today. In North Alabama, 
in Albertville, a plant shooting has ended with three people dead, including the the gunman, in what's being called a tragic day for the community. This is Marshall County, Alabama, around Gunnersville, Albertville, as well as Boaz, kind of twin cities there in that portion of Sand Mountain. And now police say that they are piecing together why a longtime employee at this prominent local industrial plant fatally shot two co-workers on Tuesday, wounded two others, and apparently shot himself following a swift shift change on Tuesday, early, early in the morning. According to Albertville, Alabama Police Chief Jamie Smith, the shooting at Mueller Water Products Fire Hydrant Factory began just after 2.30 in the morning on Tuesday, and investigators say a man named Andreas Dion Horton of DeKalb County, that is where Fort Payne, Alabama, is located, the 34-year-old Horton used a handgun and shot four people. And the shooting occurred in two or three different areas of the plant, which is off Industrial Drive in Albertville. According to police, killed in the gunfire were David Lee Horton and Michael Lee Dobbins, both of Boaz, Alabama. And police said they were unaware of any family relations between the two Hortons as this again happened in Albertville, Alabama. Two other people were wounded in this shooting on Tuesday in North Alabama. Again, happening at a plant that makes fire hydrants, a fire hydrant factory, Mueller, there in Albertville, Alabama. Another unfortunate shooting, mass shooting here in the South to tell you about. A deputy in Tennessee has been shot and airlifted to a Nashville hospital. The suspect killed, according to reports, as the deputy was hit in the back and leg and is expected to survive. This happened in Macon County, which is northeast of Nashville in Westmoreland, Tennessee, is where we're talking about. This sheriff's deputy airlifted and the gunman killed. And this happened at a home on the 1700 block of West Stinson Road in Westmoreland. And on the scene, a man ignored commands for deputies from deputies to put down a weapon. He then fired on them, and the deputies returned fire, prompting the man to take cover inside. A deputy shot during the exchange, and the deputy identified as Sergeant Kyle Petty, a 15-year veteran of the Macon County, Tennessee Sheriff's Department. He was wearing a bulletproof vest, hit in the back and the leg, expected to survive, as I said, but the gunman killed there in Westmoreland in Middle Tennessee. Tropical storm is going to, it looks like, pose a threat to the United States early next week. Severe weather conditions are going to impact coastal regions, according to weather forecasters. Now, in the west, you're seeing this week massive heat, and I'm scared for some of that to come eastward if it does. We're already reaching close to 100-degree temperatures in large portions of the south, but in the southwest this week, they're really getting hammered by excessive heat. But yes, you're going to see this tropical storm bill advisory that has been put out by the National Hurricane Center. Bill strengthens a little bit more each and each hour, and it's expected to be a tropical storm of some type. But again, according to forecasters, 
there could be some wet, wet stuff and hail and wind as we're looking at a couple of different disturbances off the coast and forecasters, again, with this last system called Bill. And the last bill, by the way, to come ashore was Tropical Storm Bill, and that hit Texas back in 2015, taking several lives and caused $36 million in damage. And that was just six years ago. But this one is still likely to not be that big of a disturbance, but but forecasters and all you who live in the South know that when it comes to the tropics, you better keep an eye on it. You just have no clue what the good Lord has planned when it comes to weather. Unfortunately, we're reporting today that we've hit the sad milestone. 600,000 Americans have died from COVID-19, and that is the equivalent of a yearly cancer death toll. 600,000 lives lost as that number was reached on Tuesday. Now, the vaccination has certainly helped to help bring down daily cases of COVID-19. But yes, according to Johns Hopkins researchers, the number of lives lost is greater than the population of Baltimore or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's about equal to the number of Americans dying of cancer in 2019. Worldwide, COVID-19 death toll currently standing at 3.8 million people. That's larger than several United States states. 3.8 million worldwide. That number will unfortunately continue to go up. But now over 600,000 lost with the virus from China. Juneteenth. It continues to get plenty of attention, and guess what? It looks like we're on the fast track to making Juneteenth a federal holiday. Hard to believe, but on Tuesday, it was 99 votes in favor and zero votes against making Juneteenth a federal holiday, a federal holiday that will commemorate the end of slavery in the United States. If you're not familiar with the story, and most people were not, any uh, close to knowing the story of Juneteenth until about two or three years ago. And I would venture to say half of, a, half of the country still doesn't know what it really is. But it, it was the day that the enslaved black folks in Galveston, Texas, found out that the war was over, Lee had surrendered, and around June 19th of 1865 there in Galveston, Union soldiers brought the news of freedom and emancipation to the slaves of Texas, and Texas only because the rest of the South by that time, the war had been over for months, and there was no more slavery going on either. But there in Galveston, it was announced, and a celebration started. And this was kind of a local type event for more than 100 years, more than 150 years, but now for some reason, it's got more and more attention and attraction. And again, the U.S. Senate passing a bill to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. This is going to go before the House. Should pass easily. It's going to go to Joe Biden. He's going to sign it into law. And we're going to have a brand new federal holiday as Juneteenth is going to become the 12th federal holiday. Another day of people not doing anything in this country for a holiday 
for a day that most Americans had no clue about until the last year or two. And let me tell you what the other federal holidays are, the other 11 holidays, and the type of holiday they are. Okay, New Year's Day. That is not necessarily a religious day. That is a federal holiday to mark the beginning of the year. So we'll put that in the neutral category. January 18th, in 2021 at least, the Monday, third Monday of the month, was the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. That was a federal holiday. That is a civil rights figure that gets a holiday. On January 20th this year, we had Inauguration Day as a federal holiday. Now, that doesn't happen every year. It just so happened this year it fell as a year where the president was inaugurated. Therefore, a federal holiday on Wednesday, January 20th. February 15th is a federal holiday this 2021 Washington's birthday. I'm a little surprised on that because a lot of places have President's Day as the federal holiday. This specifically, at least in 2021, on February 15th, it was Washington's birthday, a federal holiday. Memorial Day, May 31st. No reason to tell you what that is. A very important day and some a day that definitely should be a holiday, and it was on May 31st of this year. July 4th is Independence Day, a federal holiday, the nation's birthday. No problem with that. Labor Day on September 6th is the day for that holiday this year. No problem there. Columbus Day is a holiday for federal workers. That's October 11th. That day I see going away real soon. Columbus has, (laughs) and I'm not talking about the one in Georgia or the one in Mississippi or even the state capital of Ohio. I'm talking about all those places, namesake, Christopher Columbus. Oh, Chris has really taken it on the chin here lately. And look for that federal holiday. I'm surprised they're trying to create Juneteenth and not also eliminating Columbus Day. But that is right now on the books as a federal holiday, October 11th. On November 11th, just one month later, it's Veterans Day, also known as Armistice Day. That is a federal holiday. Then you got Thanksgiving Day on November 25th, and Christmas Day is December 24th. So as far as religion goes, Christmas Day is the only religious-type day on the federal holiday schedule. I thought Easter could be some type of holiday. It's not, at least in the federal world. And then as far as patriotic holidays, Veterans Day is a patriotic day, Independence Day, and Memorial Day. So you got three different patriotic-type holidays. And then when you couple in New Year's Day, Labor Day, those are kind of put those in the independent category. And then you got two holidays now that are going to be about civil rights and that front. Martin Luther King's birthday and now this forthcoming Juneteenth federal holiday two federal holidays for civil rights one for a president in washington which i'm a little stunned they haven't changed that to be president's day officially for federal workers and the only i guess the only two people who have holidays are george washington and martin luther king jr and then the only uh, there are no other types of holidays out there just letting you know in case you haven't taken the time to analyze your federal holidays lately. And here we are about to add a 12th federal holiday 
Juneteenth, and it went through the U.S. Senate without any objection. Unanimous consent on Tuesday. (laughs) All right, we've got more headlines across the South. We'll get to as we roll on with today's Y'all Show. Hang on. When we come back, we've got a quick look at some Southern sports news. And before the hour is up, we'll go to Jonathan Leifine of 24-7 Sports. He's the insider of ACC Sports for 24-7 Sports. And Jonathan's going to be on to talk about ACC football and the two teams from the Atlantic Coast Conference that are Omaha-bound. This is the Y'all Show. This is the Y'all Show, now time here on the Wednesday edition for a little sports flash. What's going on across the Southland in terms of sports? Well, what's going on the country right now is the NBA playoffs. And on Tuesday in New York, specifically in Brooklyn, New York, 114-108, the Brooklyn Nets get past the Milwaukee Butts, the Milwaukee Bucks in that game, and, and the Butts, too, of Milwaukee. Yeah, 114-108. And now Brooklyn, thanks to Kevin Durant and his 49-point triple-double, give the Nets a 3-2 series lead. And I think this thing now shifts back to Milwaukee. That's the thing. They just burn so much jet fuel bouncing around between these NBA playoff games. I like the old days where it was two games in one place then three games in another and then if they had to play an additional two it would go back for the other two at the original place i think now they start flip-flopping after every game or something and these series end up lasting forever and i don't like that call me old-fashioned but yes it's not old-fashioned that the nets look like they're just one game away from advancing to the eastern conference finals thanks to their win on tuesday 114 to 108 what a awesome performance by kevin durant the former oklahoma city thunderstar now with his brooklyn net team getting a 49 point triple double and a winning effort the nba playoffs continuing what's on tap for this wednesday you've got the hawks They'll be at the Wells Fargo Center in Philly to take on the 76ers. That is a 7.30 Philly time first tip on TNT. And also you've got a nightcap of NBA playoff action from the Western Conference. 
It's game five with the series currently tied at two apiece. It's the Clippers there in Salt Lake to take on the Jazz. And that game tips off at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on TNT. Speaking of TNT, speaking of the NBA, did you hear about Charles Barkley? The round mound of rebound as big news from him on Tuesday. He says that he's going to evidently stop being on the NBA on on the NBA on TNT. And he's tired of people taking aim at politically correct people. And he says that's taken the fun out of the NBA on TNT. And at least one article came out saying that he's stepping aside. And I'm trying to get confirmation of that. I don't know if that was fake news I saw. Why should your business uh, go? Come on, sir, Charles. And, yeah, reveals his retirement plans from TNT's Inside the NBA is what one article says. Let's see if I can get you some more information. I know you want to know about the round mound or rebound here, right? Yes, you do. Yes, as he's been on there for quite some time. He's now 58 years old and has won multiple Sports Emmy Awards. A lot of people like Charles Barkley on TV, and and I do too. He, he's got something to say. Sometimes what he says is put in a way that only Charles Barkley could come up with, but the pride of – is he from Leeds? I think he's from Leeds, Alabama, and an Auburn alum. He He's he's done a good job. I mean, give him credit. The guy shows up. That's a hard thing to do, especially when I think his off-season home – primarily is in phoenix and i think you have to go to atlanta to record most of the nba coverage for tnt so he's constantly on a plane back and forth and then he shows up at all these golf tournaments as well so we do have some discrepancy if you will on charles barkley's future if he's not on nba on tnt it's going to be a big loss but i did see somewhere some news about that maybe charles has decided since that news broke that he might try to take back his plan and come up with a different plan and slam dunk, whatever his plan is. Not quite as visible as Shaquille O'Neal, his fellow castmate there on the NBA coverage on TNT. But but Charles Barkley, a good golfer now. Maybe he wants to spend more time out there. How about another Auburn guy? Let's talk about Cam Newton. Auburn alum, Panther quarterback of many, many years now with the New England Patriots. And how about the humble Cam Newton? As he said this week about Mac Jones, the Alabama Crimson Tide star, champion of the college football world with the 2020 football season and now drafted in the first round by the Patriots. And Newton said Tuesday that there's no extra motivation for him after Jones showed up as a backup quarterback and heir apparent perhaps for the Patriots as he was picked 15th overall by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. And so ask about extra motivation. Newton said Tuesday, absolutely, that he's not got extra motivation. As he says about Mac Jones, he was the right pick, in his opinion. He was the best player available, and that's what the NFL draft is for. It was his first remarks to reporters from the New England beat since Cam Newton re-signed with the NFL franchise back in 
March. And Newton went on to say, as far as having any chip on the shoulder, you're stating the obvious. I don't need too much to get myself going. It's no disrespect to Mac. It's no disrespect to Bill Belichick and his decision. I support it 110% because you still have to do what's right for the organization for the long haul. How about Cam Newton being a little a little humble? Who would have thought this guy would be humble? But yeah, he is humble. And again, I've said it before. I think I just said it on Tuesday. I am proud of the 32-year-old Georgia native and NFL veteran now. I'm proud, and Heisman Trophy winner too. I should have thrown that out there. I'm proud that he has found new life in the NFL after what I thought was the end of his career. Not because he was a bad football player, just because he had too many injuries. And he's 32 years old in a position other than if you're Tom Brady, you just don't get three NFL seasons these days without lots and lots of complications. And Cam Newton's has had, he's had a lot of problems, especially since the 2015 Super Bowl for the 2014 season, or was it 20, 2015 season, 2016 Super Bowl? Anyway, Super Bowl 50. He's not been the same since that one, in my opinion. Yes, but he also, just like he normally does, has come up with nicknames. He calls Mac Jones, the new quarterback there in New England, Mac and Cheese. As he says, Mac and Cheese is He's pretty cool. He's quiet. I think he's trying to figure everybody out. Newton says, I've been there before. I've been a rookie, and I've been a first-round pick where so much is asked from you. So mac and cheese and super cam together in New England, and we'll find out how that love affair (laughs) goes on as the season of NFL football gets ready to go. Oh, and what, three months now? We'll be having regular season NFL games. That is great news. We'll have more sports news as we continue on with today's Y'all Show. Hour three, I'm going to tell you a lot of SEC West college basketball news, various programs in the news for college basketball, and we'll also rank college football's 10 most hostile environments. That's all coming up on the Y'all Show in the third hour of the fun that we've got planned for you. So you don't want to miss it, and you also don't want to miss, coming up after the break, we're going to be joined by ACC insider Jonathan Leifite. He's with 24-7 Sports, and he will be on to talk about the two teams from the conference that are Omaha-bound. Omaha, Omaha. Yeah, we've got two ACC programs that are going to be playing in the College World Series. Jonathan will share his thoughts on that, and also the latest with NFL football, or rather, ACC football. I got NFL on my mind, too. But, yeah, what is going on from that standpoint? All that is ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. Stay tuned.
And the Virginia Cavaliers are Omaha bound. They join NC State in the College World Series of 2021. Hello, John Rawl back in with you. It is time now for our weekly spotlight on the Atlantic Coast Conference. And Jonathan Leifheit covers the ACC for 24-7 sports. That is a CBS Sports Digital Network. And he's got college baseball to talk about today. He's got a little college football news and more. And Jonathan, back in with us. Welcome into the Y'all Show again, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Always good to be on. And how about those two ACC teams back to Omaha? Yeah, and you know Virginia is a team that uh, really, you know, they were probably on the on the bubble of whether or not they'd even make the postseason, uh, and then and they go into the into the uh, regionals. They lose the first game, come bouncing back. They go into the super regionals. They lose the first game and come bouncing back. So. Um, they're very resilient. And then NC State, another team started out the year, you know, really kind of a ranked pretty highly and then struggled. And then they finally started putting it together by the end of the year. So, um, and, and they went into Arkansas and took, uh, two out of three. And Arkansas, of course, was the number one team kind of coming, uh, coming into the, in the postseason. So very, very impressive. And then you also had Notre Dame, uh, made it to the, uh, um, made it to to the super regionals, and then they uh, just came up short against uh, against uh, Mississippi State on the road down there in, uh, in Starkville. So, uh, pretty good showing in the postseason for the ACC overall. That's right. In fact, that game in Stark Vegas was a battle between the ACC and SEC, and whichever team won that third game on Monday would end up being the conference and representing a conference where they had three teams in Omaha. So, unfortunately for ACC fans, it was the SEC topping the ACC. So, you got three SEC teams in Omaha, two ACC teams. You've got two Pac-12 teams, and then you've got the Big 12's Texas Longhorns. Jonathan, I did not attend an ACC institution. I do believe I just counted up eight teams. Is that right? That sounds about right to me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you have it. Your eight teams again, Elliott, Avett, and NC State. What a job going in to Fayetteville and walking out of there with a win, especially when you look at the final score of that first game they had there at Baum Walker Stadium. They were absolutely annihilated. I think it was about three touchdowns Arkansas scored in that one, and NC State barely got on the board, and then they – bounce back from that loss in game one to come back and win the next two games great pitching great hitting and just a a very very good performance by the wolf pack yeah they did a great job and you mentioned that 20 to 1 they lost the first game and then bounced back to win the next two very 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 impressive you would have thought you know kind of coming out of that they were just going to get blown away and that was going to be the end of it but that is not the way it worked out at all Jonathan, NC State's kind of been an, an enigma in college baseball in recent years. They've kind of been overshadowed by North Carolina as UNC's gone into Omaha. We've seen them do very well there. I don't think UNC's won a national championship, but they've played for one, right? Uh, yes, they have played for one. Uh, Virginia is the, the team that's won one. Yeah, Virginia won it a couple of years ago. In fact, this year marks the first time UVA's been back in Omaha since the year Roughly 2014 or 2015 was the year they went there and won the College World Series. So you got UVA back there, 
and now NC State in only its third appearance in the College World Series. And that gets going this weekend, so for the ACC representatives, a lot of people pulling for you, and what a great job by both coaching staffs to get these two programs representing the ACC back to Omaha. All right, Jonathan, we got to talk some college football, if you don't mind, and let's talk about transfers. There is an article out on your sister website there, cbssports.com, about how the ACC football transfers, how they are going to make an impact in the 2021 season. Ben Kerchival has penned this article, and according to Ben, the SEC's losses are the ACC's gains when it comes to the transfer portal. And he's got people like Florida State QB McKenzie Milton and Jermaine Johnson, also of FSU, highlighted in this article. What do you think about all these transfers in from non-ACC teams? I'm talking about SEC transfers coming into the conference. Well, McKenzie Milton was actually out of UCF, so he wasn't technically from the uh, okay. From the uh, SEC, but yeah, I mean there has been a good bit of that, and um, you know it's it's been kind of interesting to watch how the, the whole portal has played out, and I, I think we're going to see probably we've seen kind of an initial rush. I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out in the coming years, because I think the big concern is going to be about you know kids that end up with no place at all. Um, you know they decide to transfer and then they don't find a, a landing spot for it, so there's probably going to be some 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 stuff around that, but. The ACC has certainly benefited uh, from that. I mean, uh, if you look at kind of, let's just look at a few teams. Miami, for example, uh, a couple years ago, they had you know, Derek King, uh, and he'll be back again this year. He, he comes in as a transfer. Um, and you've had a number of other you know schools that have done well. Like, uh, Georgia Tech has done really well, pulling kids who went off and left at the Atlanta area or Georgia, and then coming back, Georgia being a very talent-rich state. Uh, so they've, they've done quite well with that, and all in all, I think, you know, you're, you're going to see a little bit of talent redistribution, you know, coming out of the transfer portal. Kids may go off to uh, one school, you know, get buried on the depth chart and decide, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to try my wares somewhere else and see if they can make it. And uh, so that's what you're seeing a good bit of. And and uh, it's not a not a not a down thing. I think it's pretty good to, to kind of see some of that going on. I think it's good for the kids anyway. Uh, may or may not be good for the game overall, but. Um, I think uh, I think it's probably pretty neutral for the game, but certainly for the for the kids that are, you know, trying to get onto the field, I think it's good for them. One such SEC to ACC player is Miami's defensive back Tyreek Stevenson. He played at Georgia, was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, and now he'll be playing for the Miami Hurricanes. What do you know about this man and how he's expected to impact Miami's defense? Well, he was a, a case, you know, Georgia has recruited really well, and and uh, unfortunately, as a fan of the other team in the state, um, and uh, I think it was a case of him, you know, not seeing as much time, just wasn't a good fit, so he decided he was going to head somewhere else, and Miami was his choice, so he'll he'll be in, he'll be a, a contributor for sure. I, I can't guarantee he'll be a starter, but yeah. I think he'll be a contributor. All right, let's talk about Rambo, not the movie, although Sly Stallone is probably a big fan of this guy. Wide receiver Charleston Rambo. He actually started out at Oklahoma. Now he's also moving to Coral Gables as he'll be a hurricane and a wide receiver for that program. What do you think about adding to the offense for the Hurricanes? Well, it'll give Derek King a, another target this year, and you know, uh, 
they've they've been struggling. They've really kind of had a struggle on on the offensive side. Even with King, it's been you know their offense hasn't been real proficient. So you know, you know additional weapons for them you know be very welcome. And it's not always your Power Five programs transferring in to the ACC. Sometimes it's your Group of Five teams. In fact, from the state of Georgia. You have a guy who was a three-year starter, started 22 games at defensive back for the Georgia Southern Eagles, GATA there in Statesboro. Kendrick Duncan Jr. transferring from Georgia Southern to Louisville and is expected to help out that side of the Cardinals' defense. Have you heard of this guy, Kendrick Duncan Jr.? I, I had not, but you know, given that he is a three-year starter, it sounds to me like he decided to take advantage of that of his performance at kind of a lower level and see if he can move it up to a, to a higher level and improve his, his, his uh, you know, kind of his situation a little bit. Yeah, he was an all-sun belt selection. Six foot three, 225-pound safety there for the Georgia Southern Eagles and now going to be suiting up in red and black for the Louisville Cardinals moving into the 2021 college football season. We're talking with Jonathan Leifite. He is the ACC insider for 247sports.com, CBS Sports Digital. Jonathan, I just looked at the calendar, and each day I look at it, we're getting one day closer to the start of college football. What do you know about the sort of reporting dates that these players around college football have? Are there most of them already on campus? Are they going to be showing up for classes? What is going on? Yeah, most of the uh, most of the schools have their, their their players on campus. You know, pretty much all year round. Um, you'll see most of them kind of show up in uh, you know freshman report in the summer. That'll give them a chance to kind of start uh, you know attending classes and kind of get acclimated to the collegiate environment. Um, you know, so a lot of them have already reported in. They're already doing their thing, um, and then camps are generally going to start right around the, the first of August. Uh, plus or minus, some of them might be a couple of days before, some of them a couple of days after, depending on when their season starts. But usually, it's right around the first of August when things start, and they'll get to get rolling. First week or two will be without pads, and then they'll and they'll start starting with uh, the full pads. Okay. Do you know what the academic side of most of your ACC schools? What's going on there? Are most of these campuses open, and some of these football players, for example, taking advantage of that to to go through some summer school classes? Oh yes, absolutely. All of them. Uh, I don't think there's a single ACC school that is closed. You know, now we've had, of course, COVID stuff, but none, none of them are closed at this point. They're all open, so they should be able to, you know, to take advantage and take classes and and uh, also go in and lift weights on their, on you know, at, on their at their leisure. Jonathan, speaking of the 2021 schedule, I am on the website GoJackets.com, and there you have a really neat article up penned by Alex Seats. Ranking ACC football schedules toughest to easiest. And this always brings out a lot of clicks and more when people start looking at this thing. He's got Georgia Tech number one on this article. What What is that about? <laughs> well, if you look at the Georgia Tech non-conference schedule and you couple that with their conference schedule, um, they got, uh, they've got quite a, quite a, a task in front of them. Um, you've got, you know, uh, school in Northern Illinois. Um, really, the only gimme game is going to be Kennesaw State. Then they've got, uh, um, they've also got uh, Notre Dame and Georgia out of conference, and then in conference they've got Clemson, 
uh, you know, North Carolina as well, along with Virginia and Miami. So it's not an easy schedule. And, you know, then it just it doesn't get much easier when you've got Virginia Tech and Boston College as well. Yeah. So that's number one on this list. Number two is Florida State as Coach Norvell's trying to get that ship righted in Tallahassee. And among the opponents FSU's got on the schedule this year, of course, they play Florida as they do each year. They also have to travel to Clemson and Boston College on this 2021 schedule. They kick off the year against Notre Dame. So he's got FSU number two. Would you agree with that? Uh, I would probably agree with that. They, they don't have an easy schedule at all either. Okay. And then Miami's number three on this article that you can go to gojackets.com. It's the 247sports.com website for Georgia Tech fans. And this article penned, again, by an, a great writer there on the site who breaks down the 2021 schedule for all of the ACC teams, Alex Seats. Well, you'll get out of your seat on some of those projections of what he's got for the toughest schedule, perhaps. But, Jonathan, always fun to kind of dissect what might be happening on the gridiron here. And, again, we're just three months away from the madness. I am so looking forward to it. After 20, it can't come soon enough. I agree. Jonathan, anything else ACC-wise we need to know about? Uh, the uh, football media kickoff is coming up in uh, July, July 21st and 22nd. All right. Put it on your calendar, everybody. Jonathan Lifeite, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking with you again next week. Sounds good. You guys have a great rest of your day and the rest of your week. All right. 247sports.com is the website, a CBS Sports Digital website. We've got more of the Y'all Show coming up after the break. A Southern accent is going to be filed from Kobe Bennett, and that is going to be on Southern culture. That's ahead on the Y'all Show. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. This Saturday, June 19th is Juneteenth, also known as Emancipation Day. When President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, declaring over 3 million slaves in the Confederate States to be free, the news did not reach African Americans living in Texas for more than two years. When Union soldiers eventually reached Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, the residents finally got the news that slavery had been abolished. The liberated slaves then began to celebrate with prayer, feasting, song, and dance. The following year, the first official Juneteenth celebrations commenced with prayer meetings and the singing of spirituals. African Americans across other states soon took up the celebration as well, and the Juneteenth celebration became a state holiday in Texas in 1980, with other states following suit. It's even celebrated outside the U.S. by a number of organizations to commemorate the end of slavery and to celebrate African American culture and achievements. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. And again, as we reported earlier this hour, the U.S. Senate on Tuesday, 99 to nothing, approving Juneteenth as the 12th federal holiday. Get ready for a new day to take off from work. I don't know when that's going to be enacted, though. It could be a few years before that becomes official. What is official is we have reached the end of hour number one of this y'all show. 
But we got two more hours of Southern fun and greatness headed your way. Stay tuned. In hour number two, we've got a look at more headlines from across the South, an update on Southern business, and author Kenny Shu, who has written the book An Inconvenient Minority. It is all about Asian Americans and how they're being discriminated upon. Kenny Shu will be on in hour two, as well as an update on Southern books on the New York Times bestsellers list. All that coming up in hour two. Stay with us. Later this hour on Y'all, we've got a very special guest, the author of the brand new book that will be out in just a few days. It's called An Inconvenient Minority. Kenny Zhu is going to be on, and he is an Asian American who studied at Davidson College in North Carolina, and just a great, talented young man. Started writing this while he was at Davidson, this book, and it covers discrimination that's going on right now against Asian Americans in terms of what's going on as they try to get into colleges like Harvard. And Kenny will be on. It's going to be a fantastic conversation, part of our Southern Book Report of this second hour. We also have, as part of that book report, we're going to file info on the top reads according to the New York Times bestsellers list. And there are four, count them up, one, two, three, four, Four brand new books that are on the New York Times bestsellers list for fiction. And I'll tell you what those books are here on the show that runs by the book. We live by the good book, the good book of the South. And I'm John Rawl. I'm your author of this second hour of the Y'all Show. I am the general, besides being the author, the general of the South, John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. And in the second hour of Talk About the South, we've got headlines from across the region as we continue to scan what's going on across the Southland. Also, we've got a business report coming your way in a handful of minutes. All that as well as our Kenny Zhu author coming on, our spotlight with Kenny in this second hour. And don't forget hour three today. We've got a lot of fun there, including the most searched spelling word for each of the southern states, that according to Google Trends. So if you went on to Google and you said, how do you spell y'all? Well, if your fellow residents in your state use that word and search for y'all more than any, it shows up as the most searched spelling word for your state. I don't think you all or y'all ended up being number one in any of our states. I don't think, but you know what? You're going to have to stick around in hour three and find out what exactly the most searched spelling word for your state is, according to Google Trends. All that's coming up in this third hour. of Well, that's next hour. In this second hour, we got plenty of stuff, as well as the hour three fun of this y'all show. Our website is yall.com. Y'all.com, the South's homepage you can listen to the show on great and i mean great radio stations in the southeast and we thank all of our great radio affiliates for carrying the y'all show and you thank them if you don't mind call them up and say hey radio people thank you for carrying that guy john and that show called y'all i really enjoy it or if you hate it you can call them up and tell them the same stuff 
We're just glad to get interaction, and that's what we strive for because we have a show that we try to be a different kind of show that is all about the South. And to my knowledge, we're the only show that does that. And we're going to keep on keeping on, but it takes an audience. It takes a village. And we appreciate you being a part of the fun and the village that we call the Y'all Show. So check it out. Our podcast, in addition to being on great radio stations, you can find it at Apple Podcast. Free download. Just search for Y'all Show. Also, we're in Twitch as well as we're in the TuneIn Radio app and we're on the iHeartRadio app. All free of charge, by the way. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Now, let's go into what's going on news-wise on this Wednesday of the Y'all Show. And as we discussed in our number one, sadly, early in the morning hours on Tuesday, a gunman went into a plant in Albertville, Alabama, ended up shooting and killing two people, killed himself as well, and what ended up being a tragic day for Albertville in Marshall County in the northeast corner of the heart of Dixie. Two other people injured when this gunman, 34-year-old Andreas Dion Horton of DeKalb County, Alabama, used a handgun and shot four people before he died as well. The shooting happened at the Mueller Water Products, which is a fire hydrant factory in Albertville, Alabama. And this man, apparently, Mr. Horton, shot himself following a shift change early on Tuesday. But a a senseless killing in northeast Alabama, again, at this fire hydrant factory. Some of the victims transported to the Marshall Medical Center South there in Marshall County, Alabama, some taken to Erlanger Hospital in Chattanooga, about an hour's drive from Albertville, and Gunnersville is also in the area that Albertville, Alabama, is located in. But a, a senseless shooting, and now a total of three, including the shooter, killed on Tuesday. A Tennessee deputy has been shot and airlifted to a Nashville hospital. The suspect killed. This happened in Westmoreland, which is 50 miles northeast of Nashville. A Macon County, Tennessee sheriff's deputy responded to a disturbance at a home on West Stinson Road, and there an altercation happened, and on the scene a man ignored commands for deputies to put down his weapon. He then fired on them. The deputies returned fire, prompting the man to take cover inside, and ultimately the man identified the the officer, the deputy that was shot, was Sergeant Kyle Petty, a 15-year veteran of the Macon County, Tennessee Sheriff's Department. He is expected to survive as he was flown to a nearby hospital, but an unfortunate law enforcement exchange. And on that, on this week, this deputy shot is expected to live, thankfully, suspect killed from Middle Tennessee. The Senate on Tuesday has approved a bill to make Juneteenth a federal holiday that that passed with unanimous consent. 99 senators in support, zero in, I guess, non-support of Juneteenth becoming the nation's 12th federal holiday. It's expected to go to the House where it will likely have easy passage and President Biden expected to sign Juneteenth into law as a federal holiday in the near future. 
to Nashville and the Southern Baptist Convention wrapping up. They have picked the next president, and the next president says he'll work for racial unity. In fact, Ed Litton of Sarahland, Alabama, that is on the eastern shore of Mobile Bay is where Sarahland is located. Ed Litton, is, he won with 52% of the vote in a runoff against a Georgia pastor who was a very staunch conservative. Now, the newly elected Litton most see him as a moderate. But thousands of people made their way to Nashville this week for the Southern Baptist Convention's largest convention, I think, ever, but certainly in the last decade. And Litton ended up getting the majority of the votes to become the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, Mr. Litton, or Pastor Litton, was nominated by Fred Luter, the only black pastor to serve as the Southern Baptist Convention's president. It is the Southern Baptist Church, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And now he becomes president. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I know what it does mean. There was a movement to make Southern Baptists even more conservative, and that movement was defeated with the passage or approval of Pastor Litton from Sarahland, Alabama, to become the next president of the SBC as they gathered in Nash, Vegas this week. And a funny story about the Southern Baptist Convention, yours truly, and Nashville. As some of you may know, prior to being on the radio and or podcast, and prior to having really a website devoted to the South called y'all.com, I also had at the same time back in 2003 a magazine that was out for eight years called Y'all Magazine. Would love to bring it back. If y'all know how to make me uh, a publisher of a magazine again, I'm all ears. But back in 2005, roughly, I, as a Y'all Magazine publisher, went calling on the Southern Baptist Convention's headquarters in Nashville because... It's the SBC that owned Lifeway bookstores, which I think still are out there, but many have shut down because bookstores have really taken it on the chin, not because of COVID, but because of, frankly, Amazon and other options to buy books or or download books digitally and not go into a bookstore and buy a printed book. But I went into the Lifeway headquarters, which was tied into the SBC. I think I'm right on that. It's been a long time, so forgive me if I'm a little off on my story. But the point is, I went into their headquarters to try to get them to carry y'all, the magazine, in Lifeway bookstores across the South. Our magazine was very positive. I wouldn't say it was a religious magazine. It's just like this show here is not a religious show, but we certainly are not against religion, and we certainly have Christian influence, and I think Christian aspects of this show that show up in the show, and it showed up in Y'all Magazine. We had people like Dave Ramsey as columnist in Y'all Magazine and other great positive people. And would you know, when I went to their headquarters in Nashville to try to get them to put Y'all Magazine on the newsstands of Lifeway, they wouldn't even let me come in the door with the magazine. I could go in the door, but they essentially scanned my luggage, if you will, and I only had, I think I was carrying a, a folder that had y'all inserted inside it. 
They would not let me come in the building with my own magazine because it was secular. It was a secular magazine, and therefore I was not allowed to bring it in, even though that's the reason I was there. I was there to try to get them to add y'all to the bookstore because we were at that time distributed at all the books of millions of the Southeast. We were in David's kid bookstores in several Southern cities. We were in multiple grocery store chains and I wanted to be everywhere. And so to get into Lifeway, I had to go calling on the, the corporate headquarters and I did. And they wouldn't even let me bring my magazine about the South in the door. Seems a little, Oh, this is not very Christian. <sighs> seems a little sorry southern baptist a little crit- hi- hi- hypocritical i think they wouldn't let me in and you know what i think lifeway stores have kind of taken it on the chin since then and maybe that's a little sweet revenge for not letting me even come in the door with a great and i mean great magazine called y'all and by the way you can find digital copies copies of that magazine which we put 30 issues out over the course of eight years on newsstands around the south and we also had great subscribers thousands and thousands of y'all magazine subscribers want to thank our subscribers if you were a subscriber thank you thank you thank you unfortunately it wasn't just y'all most magazines over the last 15 years have really just like lifeway taking it on the chin and if we could find a way to bring it back we would but unfortunately i'm not sure print whether it's a newspaper or a magazine will ever be what it once was because we've become this digital animal and that might not even be for the better but that's just reality but uh yeah i got shut down at lifeway and i'm not happy about it if you couldn't tell <laughs> all right how about this story speaking of journalism and magazines and more the associated press says it will no longer name suspects in minor crime stories this is the world's biggest news gathering organization the associated press at least here in the country it is the largest we often cite ap stories in our coverage here on the y'all show and the Associated Press saying on Tuesday that it's not going to run the names of people charged with minor crimes out of concern that such stories can have a long, damaging afterlife on the Internet that can make it hard for individuals to move on with their lives. So what is a minor crime? And honestly, the Associated Press likely shouldn't be carrying minor crimes now or in the past. Because that's really not newsworthy. I don't think. Okay, so often, according to, I'm going to cite the AP here in their own story about this, often the AP will publish a minor story, say, about a person arrested for stripping naked and dancing drunkenly atop a bar. That doesn't happen too much where it's a news story, unless it's a celebrity. And that will hold some brief internet or brief interest regionally or nationally and be forgotten the next day. But the name of the person arrested will live on forever online, even if the charges are dropped or the person is acquitted. I get that. I get that. But we're talking about the Associated Press here. And they should have a lens that is always focused on a story that would be of interest nationwide, perhaps worldwide. And so regular guy 
dancing drunkenly or our gal dancing drunkenly atop a bar shouldn't be national news anyway i don't know what they're what they're doing here but there is truth to the fact that some things get put out on the internet and it just doesn't go away i have had i don't think it's happened to me recently because i've had so much stuff about me and i personally post a lot of stuff about stuff that has a byline of my name on it. But in the early days of the internet, around 2002, 2003, almost 20 years ago, some wise guy started saying bad things about me. And this wise guy was in Lubbock, Texas. And I never had even been to Lubbock, nor I don't think in 2002 I'd ever even been to Texas. But this wise guy was saying smart things about me on some website because I had written for as a as a guest columnist for a magazine that was you could say right of center. But I was just a columnist, and I, and I actually wrote a country music column for this magazine that I think is just like y'all magazine bit the dust and is in the graveyard now. But it was a magazine that had other nationally known people writing for it like Pat Buchanan, former presidential candidate. Now, his was more of a political bent, but mine was definitely country music in nature. And this person lumped me in as a as a bad person because I wrote for this this magazine. And that thing was very, very easy to find if you just Googled my name. And that was there for a while. I, I think, I guess I wasn't looking for jobs back then, but if somebody would have just simply done a Google search 20 years ago for me, they would see, oh, no, somebody doesn't like John Raw. He must be a terrible guy. Although the person didn't explain why I was a bad guy. They just threw things out there on the Internet because I was a columnist for this magazine. But they didn't mention that I was writing about country music, which is something I know a lot about, and I've made a career out of talking about country music and i i did it for them and and that magazine and i got paid pretty good money too so i'm not ashamed but that's just an example of how especially years ago when there weren't many things being posted you could really have something kind of last for a long time on the internet and perhaps that's why the associated press all of a sudden is trying to make good and not make minor crimes quite as big of a deal so i I, i'm a a little bit sympathetic but enough about my problems let's talk about something positive the national army museum in virginia has now reopened hoorah hoorah so i I get confused if it's an hoorah in the marines or a hoorah or the army if you're a veteran let me know 803-816-1170 i know it's not yet that's definitely a Marine thing there. And uh, I mean that with all due respect to our great Marine veterans and current active duty members. Perhaps you're listening to us from some military base a long, long way away from the South. Thank you for your service. But let me tell you, as we celebrated this week on Monday, the Army's birthday, the National Museum of the United States Army in Northern Virginia has now reopened after being shuttered last year due to the coronavirus and this is a free museum and it's in the publicly accessible area of 
Fort Belvoir, just outside of Washington, D.C. Now, this museum opened on Veterans Day 2020, and that was, what, November of 2020, and essentially has not really been truly open because of the pandemic. Now, you can go see this great museum of the Army at Fort Belvoir. The acting secretary of the Army is John Whitley, and in a news release, he said, June will be a month of celebration as we recognize Army Heritage Month and the reopening of the Army Museum. This museum is billed as the newest history destination in the National Capital Region. And if you go there to Fort Belvoir, you'll see galleries, exhibits, a multi-sensory 300-degree theater, a rooftop garden, and lots and lots of historic treasures at this free timed entry ticket museum at Fort Belvoir. Now, you have to go there. you, you got to wear a face covering, but you can enjoy this free museum. Not many museums in Washington and D.C. are free, but you can certainly enjoy the free National Army Museum at Fort Belvoir. It has reopened, and that is fantastic news for all of you history lovers and lovers of the military, just like yours truly, Jean Aral, Private Jean Aral. We have more coming up on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we have got an update on Southern business. And before the hour is up, author Kenny Zhu, he lives in the Washington, D.C. area. Not sure if he's been to the National Army Museum yet or not, but Kenny Zhu is the author of the new book, An Inconvenient Minority, and it covers how Asian Americans are being discriminated upon, especially when it comes to trying to get entry into some of America's most elite universities. And Kenny, who graduated from Davidson College in North Carolina, he will be on in just a few minutes to talk about his hot new book. It's the Y'all Show. We'll be right back, y'all. tell you if you love to go look at your bank account you might not have as much money in your bank in a few weeks or months based on what's going on with wholesale prices around the country hello it is the y'all show it is now time for a little look at southern business as we roll through the second hour of today's y'all show wholesale prices boosted by rising food costs increasing 0.8% in May and are up by a record amount over the past year. And that is another indication that inflation pressures are rising since the economy has begun to reopen following coronavirus pandemic lockdowns. Wholesale prices up, up, up. And your bank account 
going down, down, down. Not what you want to hear. The monthly gain in the producer price index, which measures inflation pressure before it reaches consumers, followed a 0.6% increase in April and a 1% jump in March, according to Labor Department data that was reported on Tuesday. Now, food prices also, because of all this going up, food prices jumping 2.6% with the cost of beef and veal rising, although fresh fruit, the cost for that declining. Energy costs rising 2.2%. Over the past 12 months, wholesale prices are up 6.6%. The largest 12-month increase on records going back over 10 years. Like I said, if you got money in the bank like John Anderson, it's going to be going away pretty quick if you're not careful. Now to Tennessee and the Nissan plant. And did you realize Nissan has a presence in Tennessee? I knew they had one in canton mississippi but yeah nissan plant there in the volunteer state and they're going to have a union election now they're trying to organize federal regulators a union push to organize fewer than 100 employees at the nissan assembly plant and right now this follows the amazon plant outside of birmingham remember that ended up being a decision by the Employees there to not unionize. But yes, a Smyrna Nissan plant just outside of Nashville in Smyrna, Tennessee. A National Labor Relations Board official ruling Friday that the 87 tool and die technicians at Nissan Smyrna, Tennessee plant share an overwhelming community of interest and with the rest of the facility's production and maintenance workers. Official writing that only appropriate unionized group through the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers campaign would be one that represents all of these workers as regulators have denied a union's push to organize these employees at the Nissan plant in Smyrna, Tennessee. More coming here as this plant election is being the set, it's being set for the union to whether it would be recognized and established are just like in Alabama go away and not happen at least for now something tells me the Amazon plant and union is not over with that would likely to be brought up again real soon if you have tried to fly the friendly skies of Southwest Airlines in the recent days you've maybe had a little bit of a problem as Southwest Airlines suffered a technology problem for two straight days and that is delayed or canceled flights across Southwest Airlines' footprint. On Tuesday, Southwest said it was working to restore normal operations after this technology-related issue interfered with flights for two straight days. The nation's fourth-largest airline had to cancel about 500 flights and had to delay 13 other flights. And that's not good news for Want to want to get away? Well, you're not getting away on Southwest this week, perhaps. The FAA held up Southwest departures for about 45 minutes while the company worked to fix a computer issue, according to a spokesperson with the Dallas-based Southwest Airlines. I understand they're having a better day today, and maybe they won't have as many delays and or cancellations for Southwest Airlines. Okay. You probably have been seeing the picture. It shows up all the time 
of Mackenzie Bezos. That is the ex-wife now of Jeff Bezos, Amazon fame. And her picture shows up a lot because she has been into the giving spirit lately. And she has given billions of dollars away to various causes, including HBCUs, some left-of-center organizations, and more. It's her right to give the money however she wants to, I guess. But you know what? And this is a a very big boy and certainly an girl to Mackenzie, but an boy and girl to all y'all out there. We've just gone through a rough year in 2020 where coronavirus killed, as I reported in hour one now, it's killed 600,000 Americans since it started early in 2020. And despite that, despite problems with work and school and people trying to get through a pandemic, thanks to people like Mackenzie Bezos and others, charitable giving in this country reached an all-time high in 2020. $471 billion by the good folks of the country giving money out in the year 2020. And that number comes from a report released Tuesday that looks at American philanthropy. philanthropy. <laughs> and uh, so good on all you for giving money. The Giving USA report says Americans gave more to charity than they did in 2019, despite all those problems. And that was a 5.1% spike in total giving from the year before. Not bad. As I said, that is a fantastic story to report that we were givers when we had such an awful 2020. In fact, I've said it here. You probably have heard about it too. Churches. Many churches saw more money donated in the offering plate in 2020 as compared to what would be normal years. So tithing and then some going on across the religious landscape of the South in 2020. Fantastic to report that here on today's Y'all Show. And we want to give you, not money, but a great show, and we're going to continue to do that. When we come back, Kenny Zhu is the author of An Inconvenient Minority. It's about Asian Americans and their discrimination at some of the nation's very, very prominent colleges. Kenny's going to be on to talk about his book and more when the Y'all Show returns. talk with a southern accent with your host john rawl and here in the south as we have 16 states 
that encompass y'all country. We have a variety of people that have found themselves to this part of the country, whether they be American Indians or the Caucasians that settled, the slaves that came here. And we also have a proud history of Asians who found their way into the Southeast. And that's been going on a long time. And here we're going to take some time to talk about the Asian American community in the country, but specifically we'll talk about what's going on in the South. And we'll talk about some of the modern challenges the Americans of Asian ancestry are having to deal with here. There's a case before the Supreme Court right now, and the guy that knows more about that case than just about anybody, Kenny Shu, is on right now to talk about his new book, An Inconvenient Minority. And Kenny is on to talk about that and more. Welcome into the Y'all Show, Kenny. Thank you so much for having me. I. I love the South. I uh, went to Davidson College in North Carolina, um, and uh, I, you know, it's it's definitely a home. It is, but Kenny, I got to pick on you. I've been researching you before your arrival here on today's show, and you're what we call in the South a little bit of a a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're from New Jersey. Oh. That's basically a foreign country. I it is. It, it, it is a foreign country. But you did say you were a Davidson Wildcat. And uh, I also, sure. in my research of you, I've got to give you mad props. You said you like country music. Wow. You you did some deep dive research on me, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job here. And you've been wow. doing a deep dive, deep, dive, deep dive research into a lot more than talking about the South. But thank you for coming on. And we're going to talk about this new book that you've got. It's not quite out yet, but you can pre-order it. I'm going to share the cover in just a second. But congratulations on the first read that you've been able to do. And the fact that you're a fairly young guy, so how was it getting into the writing world after those days in Davidson, North Carolina? I started well, I started writing an inconvenient minority while I was still at Davidson. Um, but uh, talking about elite universities, uh, college, um, the college experience in Asian Americans, and meritocracy, um, and you know, this is this when I was in college and everything like that, I saw before my eyes how minorities were viewed in the racial prism and how Asian minorities were viewed, especially. And now people are saying Asian Americans are white adjacent or basically white people. Uh, why do they say that? They don't say that because it's a compliment. They say that to disparage us. Uh, to basically say that we come from some kind of privilege, uh, like white people, according to them. And this enables them to discriminate against Asian Americans. That's what Harvard University does, Yale, Princeton, a lot of elite universities. Now there's a suit from UNC Chapel Hill. Same deal, discrimination against Asian Americans. And that's because they view Asian Americans in this way. And who are the people doing this primarily? Well, the, the lawsuit against Harvard for discriminating against Asian Americans um, is filed by a group of Asian American applicants called Students for Fair Admissions. Uh, and I've had the honor to cover this case for four or five years and all of the questions that it raises. Like, well, we do want to give minorities a leg up, but what happens when we give black and Hispanic minorities a leg up at the expense of qualified Asians? 
but that's exactly what happens at Harvard. Uh, Asians have to score 440 points higher on the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black person to Harvard University. Um, and that, that's, that's just what happens. It's the reality of the way it is right now. Is it primarily, I, I'm going to just say it, black and brown people that, that are the ones that are protecting and trying to diminish Asian numbers to increase black and brown numbers? They, they, they're doing it to protect their, their system, their whole system. Okay. Uh, and the system is a system that actually rewards uh, very privileged white people, uh, legacy applicants, children of donors, those kinds of things. Um, and, of course, Asian Americans are some of the biggest competitors to, uh, uh, to that segment of society because they are able to get such high SAT scores and achieve academically so well. Kenny Shu is our guest here on the Y'all Show. He is making the media rounds. You might have seen him recently on Fox News and other national outlets, and he's on today on this regional outlet we call the Y'all Show and y'all.com. And this Davidson alum has spent time in the South and uh, loves the South, as he said. We've got him on record, so we're going to hold him to it. But this book is out and it's very timely because right now before the Supreme Court, they're looking at this Harvard case, and you mentioned other schools that have similar discrimination-type cases before them. When do you expect the Supreme Court to come down with a ruling? Probably next year. Next year. Probably okay. next year, yeah. All right. And, and this book touches on a lot of other things besides just – uh, Ivy League admissions, because we all know that's important, but you know, for the majority of Americans, that's not what's at stake. What's at stake is how we treat each other. Uh, are we going to treat each other on the basis of our race, or are we going to treat each other on the basis of our merit? You know, if I hire a plumber, I want the best plumber. If I hire a surgeon, I want the best surgeon. I don't care what race they are. Uh, unfortunately, in our elite culture today, it's becoming increasingly important to be a certain race rather than to be the most qualified. Mm-hmm. Kenny, want to thank you again for coming on, and we were going to t- talk about the book and some of the aspects of it, but you are a guy who went to Davidson, North Carolina, to Davidson College, to go to college. Did you try to get into an Ivy League school? I did. I tried to get into Princeton. Which is uh, your hometown. <laughs> it was my hometown. Maybe that was a factor against me. Who knows? Um, but uh, I didn't get in. Did they give uh, you a reason? No, I, Ivy League colleges never give you a reason. I see. They'll never give you a reason. Now, you can force them to give you a reason if you actually request your admissions documents. Sometimes they'll do it. Sometimes they won't. But you can try. Well, Princeton's loss was Davidson's gain, and I think it worked out pretty well for you. Davidson, a very, very respected college in the South and throughout the country. I'm a little, I'm a little bitter, though. They left the Southern Conference. <laughs> for a greater uh, basketball success. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great school, the Wildcats. Uh, you're the guy that made Davidson famous, not some basketball player named Seth. But, Kenny, yeah, in the Seth. book you said you talk about more than just the Ivy League cases. What else do you throw in there that is may, maybe something a bit of a eye-opener for those of us who aren't Asian-Americans? I think you need to see the way – uh, Asian Americans, you know, um, work hard and really achieve the American dream for themselves. You know, they come out of poverty. They come 
a lot of them come with no money into this country, and they show that with hard work and experience, they're able to achieve. Uh, and they become some of their most productive members in American society. Your doctor is likely to be Asian American. The engineers in your building sometimes in the tech industry and everything like that. I think it's an amazing success story. And there's no reason that we should be trying to attack people's talent just because they're talented. That's right. And one of the things uh, your book, I think, covers it, but I've seen either on your website, which is well worth visiting. It's Inconvenient Minority dot com is the fact that Asians on average work an extra 20 hours more than their white and black counterparts. Mm-hmm. They, they study and they, and they study twice as many hours. Do they really? As the average American as well. Yeah, this is this is backed by research. Hmm. You know, um, when I was when I was growing up, you know, I was always encouraged to study. But of course, my parents were a little different because we know that studying is not going to get you everywhere it's not just academic excellence in america uh being academically excellent is a good thing by all means but you need to have a level of acumen that is not just academically oriented so that's something i think asian americans still need to work on and that's actually something i touch in my book an inconvenient minority and your book and your website also stands out because on the political spectrum Kenny Shu, you fall into the conservative corner, which, again, we don't hear or see all that many Asian-Americans who are proudly in that corner. Mm. Well, the Asian-Americans have conservative values. I mean, we love family. We respect education. Uh, we respect academics. We want to work hard. Um, and we believe in that. And also, we don't believe that everybody um, should be given the same thing, especially those who work less. You don't want somebody who works a third as much as you to be promoted over you. Um, and so I think Asian Americans are inherently conservative. But sometimes you have identity politics, say you Asian Americans, you're a victim, vote for Democrats, become liberal. And so sometimes they'll vote the other way. But I think Asian Americans are inherently conservative. All right. Very well put there. And let's talk about Asian Americans in this part of the world, the 16 states of the American South. There are sizable communities in places like Atlanta and Dallas and Houston, maybe not as much in some of the other states of the South. This is old numbers. I don't have the latest census numbers, but nearly 100,000 Asians were in Alabama, for example, in the 2010 census. When you look at a state like Florida, more than a half a million Asian Americans identified in that state. And I'll even brag on Mississippi. Do you know much about the Asian American community in the state of Mississippi? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. (laughs) Well, I don't know what was going on in the world, but more than a hundred years ago, a sizable number of Chinese immigrated into the Mississippi Delta. And you find a sizable population of Chinese immigrants who have been there a hundred years. And so their names are Bubba and uh, other common Anglo names. And they have been very successful in that portion of the state of Mississippi. But basically, Kenny, they're Chinese American rednecks. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) I love it. I I love country music, too. I told you, I'm not lying about that. I went to a Luke Bryan concert, two Zach Brown concerts. That's not country, Kenny. You're fired. <laughs> now, Luke Combs, that, that's okay. Yeah. So you said you saw Luke Bryan. How was that? 
Uh, everyone was drunk. All right. And that was recently? It was uh, four years ago. Oh, okay. I, I was about to say kudos on whoever you were to have a Luke Bryan concert as everything's kind of lifting, thankfully, here. But uh, yeah, we've had we've got we've got a few. We're of course not as many Asians, uh, Asian Americans living in the South compared to the West Coast, but they're scattered in, a, in an important part of the country. In fact, I guess we could even claim, or Asians can claim, the current Vice President of the United States has Asian ancestry. Yeah, but see, this also raises the issue, right? This also raises the issue because. Why are you, when Kamala Harris ran for president, she positioned herself as black. She didn't position herself as Asian American. And of course, because she has no ties to, to, to Asian Americans. And so this is just another example of you shouldn't let your race tell your own story for you. This is what elite culture in Harvard is doing. It's when they see your race and they see that you're Asian American or they see that you're black or they see you're Hispanic, it doesn't matter if they're doing it in your favor. They're still stereotyping you. They're still telling a story about you that you may or may not identify with. We're talking again to Kenny Shu here on the Y'all Show, and he is a journalist and the author of the new book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American. And that is out right or coming out soon. If you have a chance to get a copy, advanced copy, do that. It's out in July. Also, Kenny, you are president of Color Us United. Explain what that is. Color Us United is a new organization that's dedicated to advocating for a race blind society. Now, some people say, what does it mean to be race blind? Race blind means we treat other people, no matter what their race equally we, we we look past their color we try to get to know their actual story right and so many times in our culture today you are fed a narrative where if you look at somebody's race you're assuming something about them either that they're privileged they're oppressed they they do math they like math they like music they're poor and a lot of these racial narratives are for political gain um, and so we advocate against that. We say, hey, we don't want people to be treated or to be looked at even as a different race, which makes them different. That's why we started the petition at colorusunited.org to hold our media and our government accountable. And we will be campaigning for policies that promote race blindness in our culture. Very good. Very good effort there. Kenny Shu, wrap it up with you. Again, a guy who spent time here in the South in North Carolina, lives in Washington, D.C. now, and his effort to explain what's going on with the courts right now, looking at cases like the Harvard case of where there's a discrimination claim that they were not necessarily giving Asian Americans a fair shot of being accepted because they were weighting other minorities more than Asians. And that case, as Kenny said, likely to be solved and a a verdict in 2022. We're on the edge of our seat right now. Kenny, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a Luke Bryan fan, but we won't hold that against you. By the way, your favorite Luke Bryan song? All the talent in the world. Uh, no, roller coaster. You like I'm roller coaster? Okay. Well, thank you. Well, your your book is not a roller coaster ride. It's a great book. <laughs> Everybody, check it out. Whether you're American of Asian ancestry or anything, it's a very timely, informative book. And looking forward to book number two. What you got planned for that? 
Oh, man. Let's see how book number one turns out. <laughs> I figured you already had it done. That's how most of these writers are. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Kenny, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and congratulations on getting that Davidson degree and, and getting that book out. I'm excited. Thank you so much. Kenny, everybody, thank you very much. All right, more of the Y'all Show is coming up, so stay tuned to the show that covers all y'all, including our great Asian Americans with a Southern draw. We'll be right back. going to wrap up hour two with a quick look at books your combined print and ebook fiction bestsellers right now on the new york times you got four brand new books out this week e.l james is number one with freed ellen hildebrand's new with golden girl also new this week at the new york times bestsellers list for fiction is malibu rising from taylor jenkins reed at number Four. This one's been on the list for a few weeks now. Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me. That is in the top five of the New York Times bestsellers fiction list. And Casey McQuiston's new book, One Last Stop, is number five on the fiction category of the New York Times bestsellers. Your nonfiction reads, new this week at number one, is How the Word is Passed from Clint Smith. A staff writer at The Atlantic writes that book. This book's been out a few weeks in the top five. Killing the Mob from Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. Also this week, number three on the nonfiction category, new is Ben Rhodes' After the Fall. Michael Lewis's The Premonition is also in the top five nonfiction books. And What Happened to You? That is from Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, and it is in the top five books the nonfiction category of the New York Times bestsellers. Want to thank once again our very special author that was on in the previous segment, Kenny Zhu, who has written the book An Inconvenient Minority. Very bright young guy, and check that book out if you will when it arrives in July. That concludes hour two. Stay tuned. We've got a whole nother hour of the show all about the South queued up and coming at you. We're going to talk about the college football. The most hostile environments in college football, plus the most searched words in each of our southern states. All that is straight ahead. This is a three-part story, and we've reached the third of three parts here. This is the third hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. I'm General John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American, and I'm manning the controls here of this show that covers everything Southern. If you're proud to be from the South, then you ought to be proud of this show, and we're glad to be right here with you for this final hour of this Wednesday edition. We've got headlines from the sporting world we'll get to, including some breaking news out of New Orleans here on this day and some developing stories and news coming out of the NBA playoffs. CP3 is evidently going to be out indefinitely for the Phoenix Suns. We'll give you the update on what's going on with the NBA playoffs here and our sports headlines to start Hour 3. A lot of college basketball news, especially out of the SEC West. What's going on 
in the Southeastern Conference from a hoops perspective. Plus, thanks to a great article that we found, we're going to tell you all about the college football world and how a article ranks college football's 10 most hostile environments. Is your favorite school and your favorite stadium on that list? We'll tell you as we kick off this third hour. Also here in this final hour of Wednesday, we will have, according to Google Trends, the most searched spelling word in the various southern states. What are people searching for? What do they need help when they spell things out? I'll tell you as part of our coverage of the South in this third hour, plus more headlines from across the land that we'll get to here in this third hour, including a record number of bears killed in North Carolina, harvested as they have a black bear season in North Carolina, and they've had a record number this year. We'll let you know about that and how hot sauce is saving the wetlands. What in the world? We'll tell you here on the Y'all Show before we get out of here on this Wednesday edition. Our number, if you want to reach us, is 803-816-1170. So easy to do that. Just reach on out, and we'll help you find out what's going on in the South right here at y'all.com. And you can text or call 803-816-1170. Some developing stories coming out of the NBA. Sources saying that Stan Van Gundy is going to be out as the New Orleans Pelican coach. That news Developing here on this Wednesday. Also, Kawhi Leonard out for Game 5 of his NBA playoff run for the Clippers as he's got a knee injury and could miss more games, but he's out right now for Game 5 as that series is knotted up in Tinseltown. More NBA news. If you tuned in Tuesday, you saw action on the hard court. You're going to have action on this Wednesday But what happened on Tuesday, the Nets with a 114-108 victory over Milwaukee and Kevin Durant had a 49-point triple-double that gave Brooklyn the 3-2 series lead in that NBA Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. And it now moves, I think, back to Milwaukee for the next game. But the Nets enjoying a 3-2 edge in their series against Milwaukee. What's on the hard court here on this Wednesday? If you tune in to TNT, you'll have a chance to see the Sixers or the Hawks. This is a series that's right now knotted at two apiece. They're going to be playing at Wells Fargo Center in Philly, and TNT will have the coverage of that starting at 7:30 Eastern between Atlanta and Philadelphia. And then in the western side of things. From Vivint Smart Home Arena in Salt Lake City, the Utah Jazz and the L.A. Clippers, of which Leonard will not be playing, as we just mentioned. That series right now tied up at two games apiece. TNT will have coverage of that tipping off at 10 Eastern in this Western Conference semifinal matchup. And whoever wins that gets to go on and play the Phoenix Suns who've already clinched. And it looks like, to me, if I were a person going to put a little money on this, the Jazz seem to have the upper hand now that this game uh, five is going to be at their home court and Leonard's not playing for the Clippers. 
So they'll have two opportunities to, to clinch this thing with home games if they can't do it in L.A. for game six. They'll have a chance to do it then. To, that's the NBA update there. Again, coaching news, player news, and more. In fact, speaking of players, player news from the NBA, also wanted to let you know, according to NBA protocols, it looks like Chris Paul is going to be placed on an indefinite leave for a health and safety measure. As he's entered the NBA's health and safety protocol, and this could really hurt him in his effort to play in the Western Conference Finals. As it appears, he has coronavirus or tested positive for it. The NBA's rules for coronavirus-related issues. They have to have an isolation period, and that's evolved throughout the season in correlation with increasing vaccine numbers. If Paul is already vaccinated against COVID-19, he could be facing a shorter absence from the Suns. But, yeah, it looks like he's going to be out for at least the start of the Western Conference Finals, Chris Paul. And I didn't even see the story originally come out that he tested positive, but evidently Chris Paul, the Wake Forest alum, is not going to be available, it looks like, right now. Unless the Western Conference Finals is delayed because of the Jazz Clippers thing going perhaps to a full seven games. That can only help CP3, as he's known, the point guard for the Phoenix Suns in his effort to get back on the court. And it would be a feel-good story if he is able to, in his many years of being in the NBA, have a chance to play for a NBA Finals. Now, this is going to be Chris Paul's second trip to the Conference Finals. Back in 2018, when he was a member of the Rockets, he was able to play in the Finals Conference Finals at that time. But the Rockets fell in seven games to the Warriors. I don't think Chris Paul has ever played in an NBA Finals. I don't, I don't think he's ever won a Finals. And he's a guy that's been around a long time now in the association. In fact, let me let you know, since we're talking about him, we don't want to have his mama listen to us or somebody else in his family and say, why didn't you talk good about my boy when you had the opportunity? Okay, well, here is here is your chance. And according to this, actually, to, to give you the more up, updated update on Chris Paul, I don't see that he actually has tested positive, but he has entered the health and safety protocol for COVID-19. So perhaps he got around someone who has had it and he hasn't necessarily directly been exposed it's all one big hot mess. Y'all know that. It's been a hot mess. Chris Emanuel Paul is 36 years old, born May 6, 1985 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Went to West Forsyth High School in Clemens, North Carolina, then played collegiately for Wake Forest 2003 to 2005. He was a first-round pick, fourth overall in 2005 by the New Orleans Hornets and started playing in the 2005 season. Played a total of roughly six years for the New Orleans Hornets before moving on to the Clippers, Rockets, Thunder, and now he's in his second year playing for the Phoenix Suns or first full year playing for the Phoenix Suns. An 11-time NBA All-Star. 
an All-Star Game MVP back in 2013 is Chris Paul. He was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school. He was North Carolina's Mr. Basketball coming out of high school, Rookie of the Year in the ACC. He's a great basketball player for sure and has had been at all levels, high school, college, and now playing in the NBA. And he's done pretty cool stuff outside of basketball. I remember he was part of the league that started up about two years ago. It's like a summer league for basketball. And he was the owner of that minor league team there in Winston-Salem, the Winston-Salem Dash I think no, that was the baseball team. He's been part of a minor, kind of a minor league basketball team. That and it was the deal that came out a few years ago. If you didn't see it, it was pretty cool because they had a deal in the last two or three minutes of the game. The clock went off, and to win the game, they they did a deal where you had to, if you were leading, you only had to score X amount of points. If you were trailing at the roughly three-minute mark left in a basketball game, you actually could still win the game, but you had to score more points than the other team had to score. Let's say, this is a bad example, let's say you're winning the game with three minutes left, they stopped the play, and they set the winning team, the team that was winning at the time, if you score five more points, you win the game. If you're trailing with three minutes left, then it's something like 15 more points. If you score 15 more points, you win the game. Whichever happens first is who wins the game. So if you're leading, all you got to do is score five more points. You could score that in 30 seconds and the game's over. You wouldn't have to wait three minutes and have to deal with all. The whole point of that league was to not have all these crazy fouls that happen in college or all levels of basketball and extend games and it gets ridiculous at times with how games last forever when they should have already been over with. And, but but it gives the team that's way behind, in some cases, a chance to win. All they got to do is score a bunch of points. But that's how basketball works sometimes. You get on a roll, you're streaky, and next thing you know, you could end up winning the game and the clock isn't even on, the the, the game clock. It's not even on. Pretty interesting concept. I wish I could tell you what it was, but Chris Paul has been involved in a bunch of different things. He's been involved with a franchise in the Professional Bowlers Association. They had a league called LAX, and he was part of that. And he was a minority owner of the Winston-Salem Dash, a minor league baseball team. In fact, I think he's still a minority owner in the dash in Winston-Salem. A very diverse guy, got a diverse portfolio. And right now we wish him all the best as he's evidently going through some protocols for COVID-19. CP3, Chris Paul, get well soon and get back on the basketball court and score, score, score. Let's talk a little college basketball since we're talking hoops Let's talk SEC West hoops. Alabama's James Rojas has had to have surgery to repair a torn ACL. 
and he's likely to be out when the Crimson Tide, which had a fantastic 2020-2021 season, expected to be available when Nate Oates' Crimson Tide Hoops team starts conference play around January 1st, but had to have the surgery on his left knee, and Rojas has received a medical redshirt in the past for a torn right ACL after he transferred to the capstone from junior college. In 2020-2021, Rojas played in 30 games, averaging 2.9 points, 2.6 rebounds. We wish Rojas all the best as he undergoes surgery to repair a torn ACL, and he is a Crimson Tide basketball player. Now the Auburn Tigers on the Plains have signed a former Georgia Bulldog basketball player, K.D. Johnson. He is transferring in this guard, and he's now signed with a SEC rival in the Auburn Tigers. Bruce Pearl on Monday said that Johnson has signed an athletics financial aid agreement to play at Auburn University in 2021-2022, and Johnson declared his intentions to transfer to Auburn last month. Now he's signed on with the Bruce Pearl-led Auburn Tigers. He averaged 13.5 points and 1.9 steals per game as a freshman at UGA last year. But a SEC to SEC transfer for this Atlanta native that shot 42% from the floor. He shot 39% from three-point range in the past year for the Auburn Tigers. But getting in a transfer from the Deep South's Oldest rivalry rival in the Georgia Bulldogs. A Mississippi land shark has now landed at Wake Forest. As Wake Forest is picking up the transfer, who is a graduate transfer, meaning he's already got his degree from the University of Mississippi, but Kadeem Sai is the person we're talking about. He'll be playing for the Demon Deeks as Wake Forest announced his signing to help out their front court. Cy is a six foot ten, two hundred and thirty eight pounder who started thirty one of his forty five games over the past two seasons at Mississippi. And Cy averaged seven point two points and four point four rebounds per game. And so he goes from the SEC to the ACC and hopefully will for his sake make a big, big impact for uh, I'm drawing a blank on Wake Forest's coach. I know he was at ETSU before he went to Wake Forest. And last year was such a crazy year. Steve, Steve, I think is his first name. Drawing a blank. Oh, well, it happens. But he'll be playing for Wake Forest. Kadeem Sai, former Mississippi Landshark, now a demon deacon. Let's talk about college football stadiums, if you don't mind. 24-7 Sports has an article up right now that caught yours truly I, and I love to talk about all the fun stuff of college football. Brad Crawford has this article, Ranking College Football's 10 Most Hostile Environments. Do you agree or disagree with what he writes here in this article? His 10th most hostile environment in all of college football is maybe for the one of the worst names of a football stadium going. And I can say that because I'm a former employee of this 
family. <laughs> the Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. That is the home of the Oklahoma Sooners, and it is the 10th most hostile environment stadium in college football, according to this 247sports.com article. Do you agree? I know who would agree with that, and that would be OU's in-state opponent, their bedlam foe in Oklahoma State, who rarely, rarely pick up a win in Norman. Oklahoma's home games this year include the Western Carolina Catamounts, Cullowee to Norman. Also, Nebraska comes in. That ought to be fun. The old Big 8 rivals getting together. And then Big 12 foes in West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, and Iowa State all coming into Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. Like I said, one of the worst names of a football stadium going. Camp Randall's a good name for a stadium because that really was a place just outside of the building there. Camp Randall was actually, a at one time, a prisoner of war camp for Confederate soldiers as they were shipped to Camp Randall in Wisconsin during the war between the states. Many died. Many are buried right outside of this football stadium. At one time, a Confederate flag flew there outside of Wisconsin's football stadium. I don't know if it's there now. I seriously doubt it is. But Camp Randall, home of the Badgers, is the ninth most hostile environment for college football. Wisconsin's home game this year include Penn State. Army marches in for a game and a couple of other Big Ten opponents setting up shop at Camp Randall. Oregon's Altson Stadium checks in at number eight on this list. Number seven, woo, I don't know about his math on this ranking here. Number seven is Georgia's Sanford Stadium. Between the hedges this year, UAB returns for a game. Arkansas with a rare appearance between the hedges. Charleston Southern, the Buccaneers, out of the Big South. They're going to wind their way into Sanford Stadium for a big paycheck. And also, how about this game? What a big win this was for Will Muschamp back in 2019. And lo and behold, two years later, he's no longer coaching for the Gamecocks. He's actually an assistant with Georgia's football program. His son is on the Georgia Bulldog roster, Will Muschamp. But his old employer... The South Carolina Gamecocks go to Athens for a home game for Georgia here in Sanford Stadium, the seventh most hostile environment, according to 24-7 Sports. Number six, just up the road from Sanford, is Memorial Stadium, Clemson, South Carolina, a.k.a. Death Valley. And this year, Unlike last year where only 19,000 fans were permitted into Memorial Stadium, Tiger fans in that orange and northwestern purple are going to be loading up Death Valley, at least Death Valley East, as we say here in the South, for home games against Georgia Tech, Florida State. UConn comes into Wake Forest or comes into Death Valley for a game. That's a little bit unusual for a team that I think is now an independent and not even in a conference. Wake Forest checks in, an Atlantic Division opponent of Clemson. And then the Bulldogs of South Carolina State 
ride into town from Orangeburg for another game against Clemson. And that's what's going on with CU in the Valley here for this 2021 season as they, again, are on this list of the most hostile environments for college football at number six. The Horseshoe, Ohio Stadium. It is Ohio State's home field, and it is the fifth most hostile environment for college football. I'm going to skip past talking about a bunch of Yankees because I want to talk about Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Florida. It is the swamp, and it is the fourth most hostile environment in college football, according to this article at 24-7 Sports. The Gators' home game, Dan Mullen's got the owls of FAU heading up from Boca Raton for a home game. Also, the Crimson Tide check in to Gainesville for a game this year. That ought to be really fun. UT, the one in Knoxville, also playing in the Swamp this year, as well as FSU with their annual rivalry with the Gainers, and the Samford Bulldogs from Homewood out of the Southern Conference. Samford will be making a big payday when they show up to play the Florida Gators this football season. Kyle Field, Aggieland, Texas A&M's home stadium is the third most hostile environment for college football, according to 24-7 Sports. Yes, get ready for the milkmen, if you will, to lead you in cheers or whatever they call What do they call that? Yells, not cheers, yells. They, they have yells there at Texas A&M. And a lot of people pack Kyle Field for home football games. This year, A&M's got... New Mexico, the Lobos right over from Albuquerque. You have Nick Saban's alma mater, Kent State, showing up on the schedule as Jimbo Fisher's team gets ready to take on those non-conference opponents. They also have, from right down the road in Prairie View, PVA&M, the HBCU, coming in for a game. I think that's the first time A&M will have played a HBCU. I think, I think. Also, A&M's got home games against Alabama, Auburn, and they've got the South Carolina Gamecocks and their new coach, Shane Beamer, rolling in to the 12th man this year. Number two, the most hostile, on the most hostile environments for college football, Beaver Stadium, Penn State. I'm sorry, having a bunch of fans wear white, it's not, to me, all that scary but that's what they've got listed here on this list as the most hostile environments penn state this year with auburn coming in for a home game how about that war eagle in the commonwealth penn state also has villanova a team from right there in pennsylvania that has won national championships at the fcs level they also have indiana coming in for a game last year that was so, so good between Penn State and Indiana. All that right there at State College. And the number one stadium in all of college football listed as the most hostile environment. And I'm not going to dispute this one. Tiger Stadium on the campus of Louisiana State University and A&M College. Death Valley West. And if you have been there for a game, and I have not, I have not, but I sure don't a lot of people who've been there, and they've got the bruises and blood to show for their 
arrival at Tiger Stadium because if you're a fan of the opposing team, look out for flying whiskey bottles and rowdy fans talking smack when you're at Tiger Stadium. This year, LSU's got Ed Orgeron's sons play for this team. McNeese State, the Cowboys, right over from Lake Charles. They're on the schedule. So is Central Michigan and riding down from Monroe, the Warhawks on the LSU home football schedule. LSU also has Auburn and Florida, as well as Arkansas and A&M coming into Tiger Stadium for home football games. Now, those will be definitely hostile environment type games for Tiger fans in the 2021 football season. But that's a look at, again, according to 24-7 Sports, a ranking of the 10 most hostile environments in college football for 2021. Agree, disagree, Brad Crawford wrote this. Surprised we didn't see Bryant-Denny Stadium on there. Is it an easy place to play? According to this article, it's not in the top 10, so it just it just might be. And hope you enjoyed that fun look at college football. We love our college football fandom. And again, college football now less than three months away, roughly two and a half months from when that gets going big time across the southeast. When we come back on the Y'all Show, I'm going to tell you about the most searched spelling words according to Google Trends across the Southland. Oh, you're going to want to stay tuned for this and find out what your neighbors are looking for when it comes to spelling. All that ahead on Y'all. left here on this wednesday y'all show and want to have some fun with you here for a few minutes google trends has released its list of the number one word in each state that people have been googling because they aren't sure how to spell that word and we've all done it thank goodness for google remember back in the days where you had to go find a dictionary and look it up now you got it right there at your fingertips if you've got a smartphone just Pull out the old phone and say, how do you spell that word? How do you spell the? Is it T-H-E-E? <laughs> Which is a word. <laughs> uh, or is it T-H-E? I'm, I'm kidding on that one. But yes, we have, thanks to Google Trends, the number one word in each state that people have been Googling because they're not sure how to spell 
said word. So, get ready for our tour across the South of words that people in each state typed out. How do you spell blank? How do you spell a certain word? Let's start. Hmm, we'll go in alphabetical order. Alabama. In Alabama, the most searched word according to Google Trends of how to spell something. Oh, this is kind of embarrassing, Alabama. They had to look up how to spell Georgia. <laughs> according to don't don't blame me, Alabama. This is according to Google Trends. Alabamians. The number one thing they were trying to get help spelling, according to Google Trends, was the word Georgia. That's not very good for Alabama. How about Arkansas? Arkansas, the word that Arkansans looked on Google Trends the most for in an effort to spell correctly. Multiply. And that's, by the way, M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y. Florida, this is pretty embarrassing too, Sunshine State. The word that Floridians looked up more often than not when they typed out, how do you spell, and in Florida, that top search was for the word teacher. Teacher, T-E-A-C-H-E-R. Okay, that's what Google Trends shows How about just across the St. Mary's River in Georgia? Georgia's number one word to search for to spell correctly was the word favorite. Or for some of you out there, it's favorite. That's the Georgia number one word search for on Google. Kentucky, favorite word or most Common word search for in Kentuck, the home of the bluegrass. Well, speaking of blue, the number one word search for in Kentucky was color. C O L O R. Again, according to Google Trends, that's the number one word search for how to spell inside the borders of Kentucky. Louisiana, the word most searched for in that Pelican state was different. How do you spell different? That was what people in Louisiana search for most, according to Google Trends. Maryland. In Maryland, the number one search for word was because. Because they wanted to search for that word because. That was Maryland's place to go and search for. Missouri. Missouri's most searched word, which this is a good word to search for. A little surprised this was number one in Missouri because it well, shouldn't be too surprising. It's a very actual rural state. If you take out Kansas City and a place called St. Louis, it's very small town, the rest of the state of Missouri. Show me, Google Trends, what word was most searched for to how to spell correctly in the show me state. Fertilizer. That was Missouri's choice. In Mississippi, Mississippi's most searched word to spell correctly was resources. 
They're getting a little uppity in Mississippi these days, don't you think? Yeah. Resources was what Magnolia State residents searched for. North Carolina, home of the most famous company that does this kind of stuff. North Carolinians, number one search word to spell correctly, according to Google Trends, was donut. (laughs) And it's spelled according to this site. I'm going to double check it because it looks kind of weird. It's a word that spelled correctly. This is a word that is recognized as having two different spellings. The word is donut. A small fried cake of sweetened dough, typically in the shape of a ball or ring. Do y'all know what a donut is? Of course you do. Donut is commonly spelled correctly D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T. But it's also recognized as a D-O-N-U-T. You don't have the D-O-U-G-H part of it. Donut. And donut is the number one word searched in North Carolina to be able to spell correctly and this is a good example of why because it, it has two technically accurate spellings and north carolina is home of again the most famous donut place i think in the south for sure that would be Krispy cream with its origins in the donut state that's what they ought to rename north carolina oklahoma the number one search word to spell correctly betrayal Betrayal in Oklahoma. South Carolina's number one most searched word to spell correctly is tomorrow. Tomorrow. Also the name of a song from Annie. South Carolina's tomorrow is the next state's Tennessee's word. And they kept it short and sweet in Tennessee when they were looking to spell this word correctly. Tennessean's word search for the most to spell correctly the word Gray, G-R-A-Y. And it is, just like donut, a word often seen spelled two ways. In fact, I'll pull out my dictionary here. And gray is the common way to spell it in this country, G-R-A-Y. British, the British typically spell gray, G-R-E-Y. This language is so darn hard sometimes. (laughs) But yeah, gray is what Tennesseans had to have help when going to Google to spell the word out. That's what they were searching for. The most, according to Google Trends, Tennessee gray, Texas, its word searched for there the most was because. And then you got the two Virginias. Virginia's number number one word searched for was because. I'm sorry, not because. Number one word search in Virginia was question. See, I'm questioning myself. But question was Virginia and West Virginia's number one word search for, according to Google Trends. And you can go there and check out if you want to all the different states if you're able to find this article out. West Virginia's number one word search for was anxious. And that is a recap of the southern states, again, according to Google Trends, the most search words to spell correctly. Google Trends releasing its list of number one word in each state that people have been Googling because they aren't sure how to spell. And there you have the results.
Do you agree with those numbers and that data? Or did Google just make that stuff up? They didn't know any of that stuff of what you're searching for. Alabama, again, that was the most ridiculous one of all. Alabama, according to Google Trends, the word Alabamians were trying to spell correctly was Georgia? Really? Stay tuned. We've got some news headlines and some other quick notes to pass along before we're out of here. This is the Wednesday, y'all. We'll be right back after this. Just a few minutes left here. Going to wrap things up here for this hour with some headlines. And right now in Switzerland, President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin hanging out together on this Wednesday. Kind of getting to know you. Although, if you know anything about Putin's past, he likely knows Joe Biden pretty darn well as he, prior to going into the leadership role of Russia was a spy (laughs) and a killer in some people's eyes and likely was a killer at some point may still be may still be it certainly many people would say he's telling people to kill as you've seen poisonings and things like that not a nice guy not exactly a good southern American is Vladimir Putin but meeting with Joe Biden here on this summit they've got going on in Switzerland as Joe Biden's European swing continues here on this Wednesday. Looking at stories more close to home here in the Southland specifically and in North Carolina, a record number of black bears were harvested in hunting season as the state of North Carolina has recently seen an explosion of its black bear population And so they allow hunters to go out and kill deer, or not kill deer, kill deer, but also kill black bears. And they were able to do that in record numbers this past year. As in previous hunting seasons, 3,748 bears harvested. That was this past hunting season that just wrapped up which I'm not exactly sure when that is in North Carolina. I'm I'm assuming in the wintertime. 3,748 bears harvested, and that beat out the previous record back in 2018 of bears harvested was about 200 bears less than that. Also, other states around the South have seen increases in black bears being harvested in recent times, but less bears in North Carolina and They're lovely creatures, and they deserve to have a home, but again, in an effort to control the population, North Carolina, just like many states, offers a chance to go out and hunt black bears, and they were able to do that this year in record numbers in North Carolina, probably more in the western portion of the state where the mountains are, but it was, I guess, available statewide as they have sightings really throughout the entire state of North Carolina. And lastly, 
making hot sauce and working to save wetlands. As you've seen, storms hit Louisiana in the last year, especially hurricanes and more. And the family that makes Tabasco sauce is fighting erosion around Louisiana's marshlands. And they're doing that to partly to save the wetlands. Took Osborne is the great-great-grandson of McElhaney Company's founder. And Tabasco is working to save the land. While sinking land's a problem throughout southern Louisiana, Avery Island, home of Tabasco, and four smaller salt domes along the Gulf Coast are actually rising. They're gaining in size thanks to efforts from Tabasco and more. Did you realize that this great-great-grandson of Tabasco's founder took T-O-O-K, took Harold, took Osborne? How about this? He has a master's degree in environmental science from Oxford, not the one in Mississippi, the one in England. Oxford University's got a master's degree from there, and I guess he's putting that to good use to try to save the wetlands of Louisiana, Tabasco. And I know there's lots of hot sauce choices when it comes to Louisiana. But I would put Tabasco as kind of the Coca-Cola of Louisiana hot sauces. And I don't know about y'all. I'm not necessarily the world's biggest hot sauce lover. But I likes me some Tabasco, especially on fried chicken (laughs) and fried catfish, too. Don't y'all? You know you do. But go to Louisiana sometime. They've got about a million different hot sauce choices. I don't know if those other hot sauce owners are out saving the wetlands like Tabasco is doing. We'll be right back. We'll wrap up this y'all show with more fun. The show that's all about the South. This is Y'all. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of this Wednesday, y'all. Thank you so much for being along for the ride. We've had a great time. I want to, again, say a special thank you to Kenny Zhu, author of An Inconvenient Minority. It's a book about Asian Americans and their struggle, in some cases, to get into America's most prestigious universities. It's going to be out in just a few days. Check it out. Kenny Zhu, An Inconvenient Minority. And we just had a fun time today bringing you all things Southern as we do each and every day. We're going to be right back here Thursday with more fun on the show that covers the Southeast. We'll have an update on the Southeastern Conference. Three teams from the SEC making their way to Omaha, plus all the news from Music City and more. Going to be fun. Our website is y'all.com. Have a great one. We'll see y'all back here for the Thursday Y'all Show. John Rawls signing off.